Hello and welcome, Womantics, to another installment of Womance's public access read-along to Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. I am the odd chapter reader, Morgan. This, friends, is chapter XX. Too hot. (laughs) Too hot 20 to handle. Morgan, what happened in chapter 19 before we get into this racy conclusion of chapter 20? Um, Well, in chapter 19, the morning after the doomed ball of chapter 18, Mr. Collins proposes to Lizzie and... She rejects him, and he says some things that he can never take back, but in a really fancy pants kind of way. Correct. That's good. All right. With that, Mr. Collins was not left long to the silent contemplation of his successful love. For Mrs. Bennet, having dawdled about in the vestibule to watch for the end of the conference, no sooner saw Elizabeth open the door and with quick step pass her towards the staircase than she entered the breakfast room and congratulated both him and herself in warm terms on the happy prospect of their nearer connection. Mr. Collins received and returned these felicitations with equal pleasure and then proceeded to relate (laughs) the particulars of their interview. And then, uh, with the result of which, he trusted he had every reason to be satisfied since the refusal which his cousin had steadfastly given, he would naturally flow from her bashful modesty and the genuine delicacy of her character. This information, however, startled Mrs. Bennet. She would have been glad to be equally satisfied that her daughter had meant to encourage him by protesting against his proposals, but she dared not believe it and could not help saying so. Mama knows her baby. Oh, no. But depend upon it, Mr. Collins, she added, that Lizzie shall be brought to reason. I will speak to her about it myself directly. She is a very headstrong, foolish girl and does not know her own interest, but I will make her know it. Pardon me for interrupting you, madam, cried Mr. Collins, but if she really is headstrong and foolish, I know not whether she would altogether be a very desirable wife to a man in my situation who naturally looks for happiness in the marriage state. If therefore she actually persists in rejecting my suit, Perhaps it were better not to force her into accepting me, because if liable to such defects of temper, she could not contribute much to my felicity. Sir, you quite misunderstand me, said Mrs. Bennet, alarmed. Lizzie is only headstrong in such matters as these, and everything else she is a good-natured girl has ever lived. I will go directly to Mr. Bennet, and we shall very soon settle it with her, I am sure. She would not give him time to reply, but hurrying instantly to her husband, called out as she entered the library, Oh, Mr. Bennet, you are wanted immediately. We are all in an uproar. You must come and make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins, for she vows she will not have him, and if you do not make haste, he will change his mind and not have her. I love the phrase, you must come and make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins. (laughs) Mr. Bennet raised his eyes from his book as she entered and fixed them on her face with a calm unconcern, which was not in the least altered by her communication. I have not the pleasure of understanding you, said he, when she had finished her speech. Of what are you talking? Of Mr. Collins and Lizzie. Lizzie declares she will not have Mr. Collins, and Mr. Collins begins to say that he will not have Lizzie. And what am I to do? on the occasion. It seems a hopeless business. 
Speak to Lizzie about it yourself. Tell her that you insist upon her marrying him. Let her be called down. She shall hear my opinion. Mrs. Bennet rang the bell, and Miss Elizabeth was summoned to the library. Come here, child, cried her father as she appeared. I have sent for you on an affair of importance. I understand that Mr. Collins has made you an offer of marriage. Is it true? Elizabeth replied that it was. Very well. And this offer of marriage you have, re have refused? I have, sir. Very well. We now come to the point. Your mother insists upon your accepting it. Is it not so, Mrs. Bennet? Yes, or I will never see her again. An unhappy alternative is before you, Elizabeth. From this day, you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins. And I will never see you again if you do. Elizabeth could not but smile at such a, of such a beginning. But Mrs. Bennet, who had persuaded herself that her husband regarded the affair she wished, was excessively disappointed. What do you mean, Mr. Bennet, by talking in this way? You promised me to insist upon her marrying him. My dear, replied her husband, I have two small favors to request. First, allow me the free use of my understanding on the present occasion, and secondly, of my room. I shall be glad to have the library to myself as soon as may be. Not yet, however, in spite of her disappointment in her husband, did Mrs. Bennet give up the point. She talked to Elizabeth again and again, coaxed and threatened her by turns. She endeavored to secure Jane in her interest, but Jane, with all possible mildness, declined interfering, and Elizabeth, sometimes with real earnestness and sometimes with playful gaiety, replied to her attacks. Though her manner varied, however, her determination never did. Mr. Collins, meanwhile. Sorry, I am so frustrated by, like, by Jane. Like, her father is such a troll, and I feel like he would have gone either way was contrarian. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's just how I feel. There's absolutely no evidence that that's true. But... No, he's a total troll. We've we've been over this. Like, Donald Sutherland, like, if Tom Stoppard was doing the most with Mr. Collins, uh, Donald Sutherland was doing the most with Mr. Bennett. Yeah, but then... Jane. Jane. What are we doing, Jane? Fucking fence sitting. Ugh. At least her dad had an opinion. At least her mom has an opinion. Exactly. Jane, fucking, like, get off the fence. Like, defend your, your sister. She, she could use a little help from her mother's attacks. No kidding. Agreed. Mr. Collins, meanwhile, was meditating in solitude on what had passed. He thought too well of himself to comprehend on what <laughs> motive his cousin could refuse him, and though his pride was hurt, he suffered in no other way. His regard for her was quite imaginary, and the possibility of her deserving her mother's reproach prevented him feeling any regret. While the family were in this confusion... <laughs> uh, he's like, well, as long as her mom's mad at her. Right? Like, I don't need to do anything else. It's like, she's getting what she deserves. Someone yelling at her. All is right and just. Well, the family were in this confusion. Charlotte Lucas came to spend the day with them. She was met in the vestibule by Lydia, who, flying to her, cried in half a whisper, I am glad you are come, for there is such fun here. What do you think has happened this morning? Mr. Collins has made an offer to Lizzie, and she will not have him. Charlotte had hardly any time to answer before they were joined by Kitty, who came to tell the same news, and no sooner had they entered the breakfast room where Mrs. Bennet was alone than she likewise began on the subject, calling on Miss Lucas for her compassion and treating her to persuade her friend Lizzie to comply with the wishes of all her family. Pray do, my dear Miss Lucas, she added in a melancholy tone, for nobody is on my side. Nobody takes part with me. I am cruelly used. Nobody feels for my poor nerves. 
Charlotte's reply was spared by the entrance of Jane and Elizabeth. Aye, there she comes, continued Mrs. Bennet, looking as unconcerned as she may be and caring no more for us than if we were at York, provided she can have her own way. But I tell you what, Miss Lizzie, if you take it into your head to go on refusing every offer of marriage in this way, you will never get a husband at all. And I am sure I do not know who is to maintain you when your father is dead. I shall not be able to keep you. And so I warn you, I have done with you from this very day. I told you in the library, you know that I should never speak to you again. And you will find me as good as my word. I have no pleasure in talking to undutiful children. Not that I have much pleasure indeed in talking to anybody. People who suffer as I do from nervous complaints can have no great inclination for talking. Nobody can tell what I suffer. But it is always so. Those who do not complain are never pitied. (laughs) That was so good, Isabel. (laughs) I am so glad you uh, became a mother yourself before we embarked on this novel. I feel for Miss Bennett. Those who never complain are never pitied. <laughs> Preach, lady. <laughs> oh my gosh. Her daughters listened in silence to this effusion, sensible that any attempt to reason with or soothe her would only increase the irritation. She talked on, therefore, without interruption from any of them, till they were joined by Mr. Collins, who entered with an air more stately than usual, and on perceiving whom, she said to the girls, now I do insist upon it, that you, all of you, hold your tongues, and let Mr. Collins and me have a little conversation together. Elizabeth passed quietly out of the room. Jane and Kitty followed, but Lydia stood her ground, determined to hear all she could. And Charlotte, detained first by the civility of Mr. Collins, whose inquiries after herself and her family were very minute, and then by little curiosity, satisfied herself with walking to the window and pretending not to hear. In a doleful voice, Mrs. Bennet thus began the projected conversation. Oh, Mr. Collins! (laughs) My dear madam, replied he, let us be forever silent on this point. Far be it from me, he presently continued in a voice that marked his displeasure, to resent the behavior of your daughter. Resignation to inevitable evils is the duty of us all. (laughs) The peculiar duty of a young man who has been so fortunate as I have been in early preferment, and I trust I am resigned. Perhaps not the less so from feeling a doubt of my positive happiness had my fair cousin honored me with her hand for i have often observed that resignation is never so perfect as when the blessing denied begins to lose somewhat of its value in our estimation you will not i hope consider me as showing any disrespect to your family my dear madam by thus withdrawing my pretensions to your daughter's favor without having paid yourself and mr bennett the compliment of requesting you to interpose your authority in my behalf My conduct may, I fear, be objectionable in having accepted my dismission from your daughter's lips instead of your own. But we are all liable to error. I have certainly meant well through the whole affair. My object has been to secure an amiable companion for myself with due consideration for the advantage of all your family and in my manner has been at all reprehensible. I here beg leave to apologize. Apology accepted, I guess. (laughs) He didn't apologize. He's like, I beg your leave that my apology can now begin. (laughs) Let's talk some more and I still won't apologize. Everything he says is a trumpeting to what he's going to say next. 
It's so true. He is just preamble. All preamble. It's like we never get to the Declaration of Independence. It's all just like, these are the reasons why we oh, do it. God. Every, you know, I was thinking while you were reading, I was like, why is there a kitty in a Lydia? Because <laughs> it seems like you could just have one. Right. I think at this juncture, you need a kitty and a Lydia because you need to be overwhelmed mm-hmm. by kitty and Lydia. <laughs> And if there's just a kitty or a Lydia, then it's just like, oh, silliness. You know, it's just like having a Mary, you know? Mm-hmm. It's true. You really do, you need the, con- it's like, it's like to the second power. It's not times two. Right. But it's like exponential. Exactly. Exactly. Like they have that kind of personality that in order to be overwhelming, it must be in duplicate. Yeah. That makes total sense. I think that's a really good observation. Thank you. I also love like this is one of those like th- this this moment is kind of telling on itself a little bit with um in a nice way with Charlotte Lucas when she shows up that like Mrs. Bennett is like really mean about Charlotte Lucas all the time. She's like, well, she's not very pretty and she's really old and like Sir Lucas is never going to get her married. But it's also like it's such a it's such an intimate family quarrel to like invite mm-hmm. a person into. And the fact that like everyone meets Charlotte in the door and is like, oh my God, Charlotte, can you believe what's happening? And it's like, it's clear that they're such intimates. Yeah. Which kind of softens the blow. Uh, not really, if anything, it, maybe it makes it worse of what Mrs. Bennett often says about Charlotte Lucas. But like even she, she's sitting at the table and she's like, oh, Charlotte, please talk to my daughter. <laughs> It's, like, nice that, like, you know, your daughter's best friend in the neighborhood just, like, drops by and everyone's like, oh, my God, welcome to the drama. I like that kind of intimacy. I like that kind of intimacy. Have you ever had a friend's parent try to bring you into their argument, though? Yes, and it is awful. It's the worst feeling in the world. That is, yeah, that is the worst feeling in the world. Oftentimes, my parents did it to my friends, and watching them do oh, that. Oh no! Yeah, so one of one of my, I won't, I won't name you, but you know who you are. You're one of my oldest friends in the world. But like, there was this time when we were kids, and she'd come over for a sleepover. I'm sure she'll remember. And she started like putting away all the blankets because we'd made a fort and slept out in front of the TV. And uh, she's folding all the blankets, and my mom is like, "Look at her! Look at her doing those jobs! Why aren't you doing those jobs?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I'm the baby, and she's one of the oldest in her family, so she's good at it, and I'm not as good at folding blankets because you've never given me chores before, mom." <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Uh, it's because of your poor parenting. It's because of your poor parenting. It's because you spoiled me rotten. And this one over here, she wasn't spoiled rotten. That's why she's so good at folding blankets. Some of us are the people who come up with the idea for the fort. Others amongst us are the ones who fold the blankets the morning after. I cannot be clear with you, mother. Shall I speak plainer? <laughs> when I was born... And my wee little fingers clasped my papa's thumb. No one, no one said, now here are hands that shall fold blankets. (laughs) (laughs) They said, here are hands that shall scoop cereal while watching animated X-Men series. It's so true. But not to fold blankets. (laughs) Not to fold blankets or do chores. (laughs) 
God, that's so funny. It's fun to retread that memory. <laughs> oh, no. I'm glad. We, you know, it is nice to revisit things that are <laughs> that were incredibly painful in the past that we can now laugh about. That is a good feeling. It is. It's also funny, like, how, I mean, at least, like, Mrs. Bennett totally co-ops Charlotte and is, like, <sighs> mean about Charlotte in public. God. But it's just like, still, she's like, Charlotte, help me. Uh, help me with your dear friend, Lizzie. And it's just like, yeah, that kind of intimacy, like, is so weird. It speaks, like, it, it speaks of, like, a, a way in which the comfort of the families is so clear. And that all the daughters love Charlotte. I like that Charlotte just goes and stares out the window and pretends not to <laughs> and listen. pretends and, not to listen. Like, <laughs> you know, she doesn't actually leave the room. She also gets that kind of, like, special privileged access of the company, yeah, like you wouldn't do that in front of Charles Bingley or Bingley's sisters, but like it's just Charlotte. Right. Um, I do you think I don't think we've talked about this before, but do you think Mrs. Bennett is a sex idiot? Maybe. Like she was just incredibly beautiful cuz she's produced like two very pretty daughters. Potentially even four pretty daughters. Yeah. The only one who is like decidedly not pretty is Mary. Yeah, and she's young, you know, she's gone through an awkward phase where she's bad at piano. But I <laughs> I think she she might for the uninitiated, a sex idiot is someone who is so beautiful that the majority of people they've encountered throughout their lives not are not only like like would if they could. And that means that they have had a lovely time prancing on clouds. They don't have to wait to get their drink order taken at a bar. People hold doors open for them. So even if they if they haven't had, you know, even if they grew up with, you know, in the school of hard knocks, the knocks were different, <laughs> less grating. And what happens when you're a sex idiot is that you get the privilege of thinking that you're funnier and like 10%, 10 to 189% smarter, funnier, wittier, overall more interesting than you actually are. I think a case could be made for Mrs. Bennett being a sex idiot who has now entered her middle years. And I think that must be like... Yeah, and things are hard. (laughs) Yeah, it must be like entering the skids, right? Where it's like... I don't know how, do I turn into the skid out? Do I turn out? Like, I remember someone saying that once, but I don't remember what to do. This definitely seems like a a person who does think that they are funny, who does think that they deserve things, and is, like, really bent towards those ends. But, like, Mr. Bennett is not a sex idiot. No, he's not. But... He's an asshole. But I think the other thing that I find compelling about Mrs. Bennett as sex idiot is that she seems perplexed by the difficulty of everything. She does genuinely seem really perplexed by it. And she thinks that if she asks her husband to make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins, that he'll do it. Mm-hmm. She does. She walked into that library thinking that that was, that was a scenario that could happen. Because I bet there was a time when it would have. Or at least something nicer would have happened. Something, he wouldn't have trolled her. And now we come to the real villain of the story. Yet again, Mr. Bennett. You thought Pride and Prejudice was about a good dad. Let me tell you what. And I get it, because Donald Sutherland... Can get it. ...is scrumptious. Oh God, Daddy is right. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think, but guys, he's a totally different person in the book. He genuinely is. And but like the thing that I find so baffling about him being a villain is that I don't think the book understands it as such. The book doesn't understand him as a villain. This is Mr. Bennett and Lizzie's relationship functions exactly like I can't remember if it was a tweet or a TikTok that you sent me. In patriarchy, daughters align themselves with the patriarch against the mother who they see as like weaker, who is being undermined, who doesn't have the power that is necessary. So like smart, funny daughter aligns self with you know reluctant and whatever unapproachable father patriarch figure aligns against mother and but also then finds that they too are left out right like that like this two-way thing is is an illusion yeah under because patriarchy can't allow it for it to be any other way i actually read you that quote on this very series yeah exactly access read-along of pride and prejudice that's the only way that I see Mr. Bennett now. And frankly, Lizzie's relationship to him. <laughs> Lizzie, yeah. Yeah. Less so Jane, I guess. Do you know what's wild to think about? None of the Bennett sisters would have been blanket picker-uppers. Not a single one. Because <laughs> they have housekeepers. Yeah, maids. Well, I think we said a lot of fruitful, important stuff. <laughs> Yet again, another Pulitzer <laughs> in the pocket. It's true. We really got that Mark Twain prize for comedy and truth telling. Yes, absolutely. There. <laughs> right there. That's where we clinched it. Um, with that, I think you should loosen your prejudices. But never your prize. Mwah. Guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>